Gabe Miller here, and I want to personally thank you for checking out our podcast. And I also want to encourage you to click the subscribe button so that each week's message will automatically show up in your feed. Another great way to stay connected with this is on our website at yourimpactchurch.com and on all of our social media outlets at Your Impact Church. I hope this message today encourages you, inspires you, and challenges you. Let's jump into the message. Really quickly, want to make mention that uh, today after the second service, after the 1045 service, if you're in this service and you're going on the mission trip, we are having a meeting uh, today, so you can come back about noon, and we have uh, some important information to give you, some paperwork that has to be filled out, uh, things that we need to go over and we need you to be a part of, so we invite you to come back at 12 o'clock so that we can give you all that information, get all of that paperwork done, and uh, as we approach that, we are less than two months away uh, from our mission trip to the uh, very central part of Jamaica, so we're believing God's going to do a great work as we go and be the hands and feet of Jesus there, so it's going to be an exciting time, going to be a good time uh, to be together and serve together and uh, be about the kingdom together, amen? Amen. Well, today, um, last weekend, come on, wasn't last weekend just amazing, just just celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, and and uh, hopefully you remember that uh, whatever you're looking at in your life is subject to change because of the blood of Jesus, because of what he did for you. But today, we have a special treat for you, one of our very own, uh, Michael Derringer, he's one of our elders, and uh, I asked him a little while back if he would be willing to preach on this Sunday, because I love every time that he brings a word Uh, There's so much wisdom, so much depth, so much that we can get out of what God speaks through him. And come on, will you help me in this moment? Welcome to the platform, Michael Derringer. Come on, you can do better than that. Come on, let's make you feel welcome. Well, you're in trouble this morning because when you have... Excuse me, when you've been preaching for four decades, and you do it every week, and then all of a sudden you stop, it's like when you, you, when you fasted for a long time, and, and then you eat that first meal, you've got to get five meals in one, you know, that first meal. You've got to, everything that you missed out on, and so get ready for about five sermons in one this morning. <laughs> I want to begin with a scripture that... Uh, that's very, very meaningful to me and meaningful to this message this morning. This is from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. It says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. So, Father, we are thankful this morning that we are receiving a kingdom, an unshakable kingdom this morning. We receive that in Jesus' name, and we receive your word in Jesus' name. Amen. In March of 1979, my wife, Lori, and I moved to uh, Rock Springs, Wyoming. We, I was 25 at the time, she was 23, and we had a three- and four-year-old. We only found out about the reputation of Rock Springs, Wyoming after our arrival, uh, that it was a Wild West boomtown, and that <clears throat> a year and a half before we moved there, 60 Minutes had done a segment on Rock Springs, Wyoming, on the police corruption, city official corruption, blatant, flagrant uh, prostitution, gambling, drugs, and murder in this town of 20,000 people. It, it made 60 minutes. It was that bad. We didn't know about that prior to moving there. 
We also didn't know that someone told us afterwards, they said <clears throat> that any man of God that ever moved to Rock Springs, Wyoming, with any kind of vision was gone within a year. And let me just say that within a year, within our first year, our world was completely coming unraveled. And, and I had, there was such a temptation in me to get my family out of there as quickly as I possibly could. In, in the meantime, my former pastor in San Antonio flew me to, uh, back to San Antonio to preach, and I laid this all out before him, and I said, this is what I'm facing. And he gave me some profound advice, and I, I don't want to go into the details of that, but let me just say this. I went back, I flew back with great resolve, and I put my hand to the plow for nine years in that place. And let me say in those nine years, we saw the kingdom of God come to Rock Springs, Wyoming. Now, I'm telling this story because I feel like it relates to Gabe and Amanda. And as Amanda just shared, they have gone through a great deal of fiery trials in the last several months to several weeks. And let me just say also that <clears throat> my last Sunday, our last Sunday, in San Antonio before we moved to Rock Springs, a young man came, in, came up to us. I know we were young as well, but he was younger than us. And it's a, it was a church of about 1,800 people, so you didn't know everybody. But a young man came up to us and said, you don't know me and I don't know you, but let me share a verse with you. And he shared Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 and 2. And I will say this to you. Thus says the Lord who created you, Gabe, and who formed you, Amanda, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you go through the rivers, it will not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you won't be burned, and it won't even scorch you, for I am the Lord your God. Now, if you are not praying for Gabe and Amanda you ought to be praying for Gabe and Amanda in the good times and in the bad times as well. I think about Jesus telling one of his disciples one day, he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. Now, can you imagine that if Jesus saw that it was important to pray for a brother who was being barraged how much more should we pray for Gabe and Amanda and their family and, and each other as we are being barraged? But one thing I admire about this, them <clears throat> is that, and that's sermon number one, <clears throat> if you're counting. <clears throat> one thing that I admire about them, <clears throat> excuse me, is that in spite of the difficulties, they keep doing what they're doing. They're, they keep they keep building the kingdom of God. And as I was thinking about this the other day, thank you, sir. As I was thinking about this the other day, <clears throat> I couldn't help. That's what happens when you don't preach for six months is you just like, <laughs> you lose your voice. So, <clears throat> but I couldn't help but be reminded of one of my <clears throat> favorite characters in the Bible, Nehemiah. Um, Nehemiah had a vision he got a word that 
Some things were going on in Jerusalem that broke his heart. He wept about it, the Bible says. He had heard that after 140 years, after the Babylonian captivity, that the walls of Jerusalem were still broken down and the people that had been left behind were still living among the rubble. So he heard about the broken down walls, but he also heard about the broken people. And he heard that, he said, the people are in trouble and they're in great disgrace. And so he mustered himself together and he prayed about it and he went to the king, excuse me, got authority from the king and he went to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall. But how many of you know when you embark on something like we did in Rock Springs and like they've done here, how many of you know that when you embark on something, the devil hears about that? The enemy hears about that. Now, there are three named enemies in the book of Nehemiah, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, or as I like to call them, Larry, Curly, and Moe. Now, the reason I call them that is because they're a bunch of clowns and I think the devil is a clown, to be honest with you. And I had, I've had Christians tell me before, you shouldn't talk about the devil that way. You should be careful about what you say about the devil. One day, I said so, I was poking fun at the devil, and two or three guys were standing there, and they immediately, went, oh, and they gasped, and they laid hands on me, and they started praying for my protection. <laughs> now, they based this on a scripture in the book of Jude, which says, but even when Michael the archangel was arguing with the devil... In debating with him concerning Moses' body, he did not dare to bring a slanderous judgment, but said, may the Lord rebuke you. Now, what I have to say about that is, I'm not Michael. Well, I am Michael, but I'm not that Michael. And to be honest, Michael the archangel wishes he were me. Why? Because I'm a son of God. And Hebrews says, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? But he said that to me. He's never said that to Michael the archangel. And so greater is he that is within me than he that's within the world. And if anything, the devil is afraid of me. Right? Just like the enemy was afraid of Nehemiah and what he was doing. As soon as Nehemiah crossed the river with letters of authority, this is what it says of the enemy in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 9 through 10. Then I came beyond the river with the king's letters. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. The enemy was angry because someone had come to seek the welfare of the people. Why is the enemy, uh, why is the enemy displeased with that? Because the enemy sees people as his domain. The enemy sees that they are his goods. Remember the parable that Jesus gave? He said, when the strong man, the strong man tries to keep his goods, but the stronger man comes and spoils his goods and rescues the people. Now, here's where a lot of Christians get things wrong. We tend to be reactionary with the devil. We tend to see, oh, the devil's doing this or the devil's doing that, and we tend to react to that. In this story, it was the enemy that was reacting to Nehemiah. Look at these verses, seven verses up here, seven times. When Sanballat heard this, when Sanballat heard of it, when Sanballat heard, it's the devil, it's the enemy that's, that's seeing and watching what the Christians are doing or what Nehemiah is doing, what the people are doing, and he is reacting to that. 
Seven times we're told that the enemy reacted to what he saw or heard was going on. For a lot of Christians, it's us who are reacting. It is, we see what the, oh, the devil's doing that over there. I better go deal with that. And the devil's doing this over here, and I better go take care of that. Or I, I need to enter into spiritual warfare because of what the devil's doing over here. That's, that's the wrong way of looking at it. Instead, the enemy seemed to be stressed and panicked over what Nehemiah was doing. And they used every weapon in their arsenal. These are the actual words describing what Larry, Curley, and Moe did. I've extracted this from the book of Nehemiah. The reaction of the enemy when they heard about what Nehemiah's plan was, it says they were displeased, they were angry, greatly enraged, very angry, and here's what they did. It says in Nehemiah they, they jeered, they taunted, they ridiculed, they mocked, they lied, they harassed, and intimidated, and they attacked Nehemiah's motives and insinuated the weakness of Moses, uh, Moses, Nehemiah's motives and insinuated their weakness and they offered compromises and finally they tried to stir up fear. They even made this, and I, I remember the first time I read this, I thought, how silly and ridiculous. They even made a kindergarten threat. Here's, here's uh, uh, Nehemiah 4.3. Then Tobiah the Ammonite, who was beside him, said, Indeed, if a fox climbed up on what they are building, he would break down their stone wall. That's something you'd hear a kindergarten say. Oh, a fox is going to break, knock over your fort, nanny, nanny, boo, boo, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> Isn't that silly? But you know what makes it not silly is when we believe it. It seems silly and harmless unless you believe it. Our faith is so effective that it can empower even the devil's silly little lies. Didn't Jesus say, according to your faith, so be it? That means even if you believe the negative stuff, according to your faith, so be it. If you think you're a loser, guess what? You're a loser. If the devil says something even as silly as this to you and you believe it, your faith empowers and activates that word in your life. So wouldn't you rather activate and empower the word of the Lord in your life than the devil's lies? According to your faith, so be it. Anyway, I digress, and that's sermon number three. I don't, I've lost count. <laughs> Let me tell you what the enemy's goal was. The enemy's goal in the book of Nehemiah was to cause confusion, to give them a bad name, to cause the workers to doubt themselves and their work, and to make them afraid so that the work would cease. So let me kind of wrap this up and finish with my introduction here. <clears throat> you know what Nehemiah's response to this was? Well, the first time I preached this, I gave 12 responses. I'm only going to give you one. But the 12 responses, in my opinion, were very mild but effective. And that's the way we have to look at this whole thing. But the, the, the main thing that Nehemiah did was he kept doing what he was doing. <laughs> he just kept doing what he was doing. Listen, if what you're doing riles up the devil, hello, keep doing it. Don't, don't even bother with him. Just keep doing what you're doing. That's what's going to end him. When the work finishes, he's done. At the very end, at one point, uh, Sanballat invited Nehemiah to the Valley of Ono. Now, 
I love that you can play with that word a little bit. It doesn't mean, and it's a Hebrew word, it doesn't mean what it means to us, but, you know, I, I like to use it gratuitous, gratuitously, uncalled for. Uh, you know, if the devil ever invites you to the valley of, oh no, <laughs> say, oh no. <laughs> okay, a little gratuitous sermon number four. But anyway... <clears throat> This is what it says in Nehemiah 6, verse 3. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? That has to be our, our attitude. Christians, we need to learn from this. What is more important that, that we give our attention to? The kingdom of God? Yes. Seek first the kingdom of God. Yes. Or to seek the devil in his domain. And a lot of Christians are doing that sort of thing. If we go there, we are going down, according to the scripture, and the work, the good work, the kingdom work, ceases while we're having to deal and react to that thing. So let me finish this story before I move on. This work of the kingdom that had lain waste for 140 years the people had lived in this rubble for 140 years was finished in 52 days listen listen to this so the wall was completed in 52 days when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations surrounding us saw it they were afraid and felt greatly in their own esteem for they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our god isn't that incredible the enemy that was trying to make Nehemiah afraid became afraid themselves. The enemy that was upset because someone was trying to restore dignity to people lost their own dignity and fell on their own self-esteem. Man, this is such an example to us. And, 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 and some people will say, well, you're just deriving doctrine out of a, an Old Testament story. Oh, really? Let's, let's look in the New Testament. Let's see if we can find this same thing in the New Testament. Jesus showed us a very similar pattern or path. Jesus also had a mission to accomplish. He called it his purpose. Often he would say, for this purpose I came. And he understood his purpose. And he was aware of it and would often refer to it. And most theologian, theologians will tell you that Jesus' favorite subject was the kingdom of God. And kingdom of heaven is, is synonymous with that. But the kingdom of God. And so we find that he announced it on his arrival. This is what he said. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven slash kingdom of God is, is near. Now, I'm getting into a little bit of grow group territory here. I've been teaching in this semester on thy kingdom come. And so I've spent this first seven or eight weeks on kingdom. And then in the middle of that, Gabe texted me and asked me if I would preach today and I thought man I had known back in November if I was asked to preach again what I would preach on it was and it was this I, I was I narrowed the message in November down to two things and I thought if I don't preach this I'll preach it next time he asked me and so I'm in the middle of the grow group and and I think oh okay but this this is going to mesh with my grow group material and so I told the grow groupies uh, <laughs> I was, I was trying to decide grow groupie or grow grouper, and I thought a grouper is just an ugly fish. So anyway, I told him, I said, I, said, uh, I can either do one of two things. I can either 
withhold stuff from you, and you'll hear it for the first time on Sunday, or I can tell you uh, what I'm going to share, and then you can just sit back smugly and look at your neighbor and say, I know this. <laughs> so I'm doing a little bit of both. Um, but Jesus kept saying this over and over again. He said, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is, is near. The kingdom of God is right here, right now. Now, how could Jesus say this? Well, in order to answer that, let me chase a little rabbit trail here for just a moment. <clears throat> let me talk, talk about authority for just a moment. When the worship team is on the stage, Andrea is in charge, and everybody knows that. And, and if she says, lift your hands, we lift our hands. And if she says, applaud, we applaud, and we follow her. And then sometimes Amanda walks up on the stage, and Andrea yields to her because now she's in charge, and sometimes we'll even give her the microphone, and we understand that now she's in charge, and, and, and if she says, bow your heads, we bow our heads, or, or hold our hand out as she did this morning, we do that. And then when Gabe comes up on the stage, well, you know, you the man, and so we, we understand that Gabe is in charge, and, 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 but listen, when God is in the house, when, when God is in the house, God, wherever God is, he's in charge. And we understand that I'm not in charge this morning. Gabe's not in charge this morning. God is in the house, and he is king. He is king. And, and so, let's face it, he's always here, and he's always king. And therefore, his kingdom is here. My dad told me many, many years ago, he said, you can't have a kingdom without a king. And that means you can't have a king without a kingdom. Seals and Crofts had a song in the 70s called The King of Nothing, and I always thought that was kind of silly. I'm a king. King of what? Well, I don't know. Then you're not a king, you know. So you can't be a king of nothing. So if, if you're king, you're king, your kingdom is there. And so if God is here and the king is here, then his kingdom is here. All right, you with me so far? Follow the logic of this. So Jesus, the Bible says that God was in Christ. It says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God was in Christ reconciling the world into himself. So God was in Christ. We know Emmanuel, God with us. But God was in Christ. And therefore, if God is in Christ, the king is in Christ, and therefore his kingdom is there. And so that's why Jesus could go around confidently saying, the kingdom is here. Why? Because I'm here. Well, let me dare take this one step further. God is also in me. God is in me, and therefore the king is in me, and therefore the kingdom is in me. And I used to teach this so much in our church, the very first time I said this, it got a few gasps, and then they understood. But I told the congregation, I said, you know how I know the kingdom of God is in this place? Because I'm here. And I've said that so many times, and, and you know, it's not an arrogant statement. Jesus told his disciples in Luke 12, 32, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So I taught this so much at Journey Church that I'd say, do you know how I know the kingdom of God is in this place? And a, a grandmother on the second row would say, because I'm here. And others would say, because I'm here. And that means wherever I go, wherever I go, the, I take the kingdom of God with me. I walk into Walmart, the kingdom of God has arrived. I walk into my workplace and the kingdom of God has arrived. 
And Jesus knew that, and that's why he could say, the kingdom of God is in your midst. You're missing it, but the kingdom of God is here. And the demons knew that as well, because anytime Jesus would walk into a place, the demons would tremble, and they would shake, and they would be alarmed just like Sanballat, uh, Tobiah, and Geshem were alarmed and panicky about what Nehemiah was about to do. And one day Jesus was walking along. There were two men full of demons, and the demons said to Jesus, Are you here? They trembled, and they said, Are you here to torment us before the time? I've got to show you this cartoon that I came across. Uh, The camel here says, I will bear him gifts. The donkey says, I will carry him. The fish says, I will pay his taxes. The, The cow says, I will quench his thirst. The bird, I will bless his baptism. I will feed him. I will warm him. And then this pig says, I will let him fill me with demons, then I'll jump off a cliff. And (laughs) wait, what? (laughs) That's what, I mean, Jesus shows up and these demons tremble. And and, and because the kingdom of God was here, wherever Jesus showed up, the devil's domain was in jeopardy. And he knew it. But just like Nehemiah, Jesus wasn't looking for the devil. Nehemiah did not go to Jerusalem to fight a battle or to, or to look, for a, look for the enemy. He went to build a wall. He went to restore dignity to the people. He was establishing the kingdom. And every time you choose to do that, of course, the devil would show up. But he is easily dispatched. Mostly, Jesus just continued doing the work of the kingdom. Many years ago, I was, uh, as I often did on a Sunday morning, I would get up early and I would lay my notes out in front of me and I would just pray and I would, and I would pace back and forth and I would just pray and meditate on the scriptures and talk to the Lord about what I was going to share and I was preparing myself to impart uh, kingdom to the people, to, to impart Uh, dignity and worth to the people and as I was pacing this one morning and I was and by the way I was thinking I think I was preaching on uh, on warfare and I was pacing back and forth all of a sudden I heard crunch and I looked down and I had stepped on and crushed a scorpion as I was as I was doing that in my living room anyway I so I noticed that and the Bible says that we will tread on serpents and scorpions behold I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. I had not gotten up that morning to actively seek to crush a scorpion. We happened to live in a house that had been vacant for a while, and it allowed a lot of the critters to multiply. And so we did have a scorpion infestation in our house. I could have gotten up that Sunday morning before church and went on a scorpion hunt. I could have looked in the closets, I could have looked under boxes, I could have looked in shoes and clothes and things like that. But instead, I would have been wasting a lot of time, by the way. Instead, as I was doing the work of the kingdom, a scorpion's head was crushed. As we build the kingdom, we tr- that very act is treading on serpents and scorpions you don't have to chase down serpents and scorpions you don't have to go looking for them they're there just do the work of the kingdom and as you do that the scorpions and serpents will be crushed under your feet 
We don't have to waste our time chasing the enemy. Didn't Jesus say, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it? The devil's domain is in trouble when the church seeks first the kingdom of God, not the domain of darkness. When we seek first the kingdom of God, the devil's domain is in trouble. We're not to seek devils and demons. The gates of hell are in trouble when I show up on the scene. And they know that. And so when I'm looking to impart kingdom in this place or that place, uh, then, the, then the devil knows his domain is in trouble. A gate, by the way, is not an offensive weapon. Have you ever been walking by a gate and it attacked you? It's a defensive thing. Gates don't attack people. Jesus' parable about this said the strong man guards his own palace. That's a defensive posture. We need to see that the devil often is trying to defend what he sees as his goods, his territory, his domain. But we can be great gate crashers, right? We can be gate movers. So this brings me to thy kingdom come. The, the um, grow group I've been teaching this week. Jesus taught us to pray this way. Jesus taught us to pray thy kingdom come. Because the disciples had uh, heard Jesus praying. Now, I didn't get this connection until just recently that Jesus gave the Lord's Prayer because the disciples were hearing him pray, and they thought, we want to pray like that. Wouldn't you love to hear Jesus pray? Man, we could just hear Jesus pray. We we can, John 17 and some other places, but I mean, for real. But anyway, Jesus is praying, and the disciples hear this, And they say, teach us to pray. So it might seem that Jesus is using some of the wording he's about to give them. That seems very plausible, that Jesus is using some of those very words because they're hearing him pray, teach us to pray, and so he gives them the model prayer, the word, the Lord's Prayer as as we call it. So it seems likely he was praying this prayer. Jesus taught us taught his disciples to pray, thy kingdom come. So do you suppose Jesus prayed, thy kingdom come? I'll show you this in just a minute. It seems very likely. Let me tell you something about thy kingdom come. It's not a passive prayer. It's not something you sit back in your lazy boy and just half, half sleepily say, thy kingdom come, hoping that one day that globally God's kingdom will come and, 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 and you're just sitting there waiting on it. Uh, there's no such thing as a passive prayer. In the Bible, there are six requests in the Lord's Prayer, and all six of them require something of us. And it's no different from thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come requires something from us. <clears throat> it's similar to what Jesus did, talked about in Matthew chapter 9. He was talking in Matthew chapter 9, and the Bible says he saw a multitude of people. His heart went out with compassion over the people, and he, and he, and he said uh, that the Uh, the fields are white unto harvest, he said, but the laborers are few. Then he tells the disciples, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he may send laborers into the harvest. That's the end of chapter 9. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send laborers into the harvest. You know how chapter 10 begins? Jesus sends the disciples into the harvest. In other words, they become the answer to their own prayer. We are the answer to thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come is not a passive prayer. We are the answer 
to thy kingdom come. Jesus likely prayed this prayer, thy kingdom come. Let me show you this because this is a game changer for me when I saw this one day. Matthew 12, 28. Jesus said, but if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then we could say thy kingdom come. If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. How can we know if the kingdom of God has come? If I cast out demons by the... So Jesus is saying, if I do this, thy kingdom come. I can almost hear Jesus praying under his breath as he's casting these demons out. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. And it's not just casting out demons. It's, it's any kind of act, no matter how insignificant it might seem, it, if it's a kingdom act, then thy kingdom come. It, even, if it's, even if it's slathering mortar on a, on a wall and putting another stone on it, thy kingdom come, slather, thy kingdom come, thy kingdom come, because he was building kingdom and as he's building kingdom such an insignificant seemingly insignificant thing yet god's kingdom was being built and a promise of god was being fulfilled by them rebuilding that wall thy kingdom come let me say again when the kingdom comes on earth in kingdom acts something has to go something has to go the domain of satan is diminished it's called, I learned this in school, I can't remember, I was trying to figure out what age I was when I learned this in science, called displacement. I tried to do some research on it, but uh, you may not know it from science, but you know it if you've ever filled the bathtub up too much and you get in, that's called displacement. The water has to go somewhere, right? <clears throat> so when you move into a place, if you come into a place and the kingdom of God arrives, something has to go. The domain of darkness is in trouble, and the gates have to be moved. It's like when you, when you get in, uh, do something, a penalty in, in football, the chains have to be moved. You just lost yardage, and the devil loses yardage. He, use, he loses part of his domain. The kingdom is no match for the church that is seeking first the kingdom of God. So Jesus sends 70 disciples to minister in the towns and villages. I told you that already. So he sends them out. And here, here it is <clears throat> in Luke chapter 10, verse 1. Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And then he gets specific. I don't want to read all the details of it, but let me just kind of summarize for you what Jesus tells them to do. Gives them specific instructions. He says, first of all, when you go into a house, speak peace over that house. And that's a real thing, by the way. That's a real thing. Speaking peace is not just a way to greet somebody. It's a real thing. So much so that he says, if they're not worthy of receiving that, it'll come back on you. So it's a, it's a real thing. If, 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 you've, if you've not imparted that, then how can it come back on you? So it's a, it's a real thing. So first of all, he says, speak peace to the homes that you enter. Eat meals with the people. Uh, heal any who are sick. Let them know, he says this, let them know that the kingdom of God is near them. Why? Because you're there, right? And, and so, he, so he says, let them know the kingdom of God is near, and anyone who listens to you listens to me. The one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who sent me. So let me summarize what, what he's saying here. He sends 70 disciples around to go into through the neighborhoods and set things right, to eat with them, to drink with them, to speak to them about the kingdom of God, to speak peace over them, and to heal the sick in other words, to do kingdom acts, 
to act wherever they go, to act kingdom acts, and whatever they encounter to confront anything wrong and make it right, to drive darkness out with light. When they returned, they were so overjoyed, and they told Jesus everything that happened to them, and they concluded with this in Luke 10, 17. Then the 72, re, re, excuse me, 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And they were excited about that. And listen to Jesus' response in Luke 10, 18. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. A few years ago, I was reading that, and I thought, that has got to be one of the most motivational statements Jesus ever made. Jesus is saying, look, when you went into that house, when you, when you were out ministering, I saw Satan fall as lightning from heaven. When you were sharing peace, I saw Satan fall as lightning. When you were sharing a meal, I saw Satan fall. When you were healing the sick, I saw Satan fall. When you did this, Satan was displaced. When you did that, Satan was defeated. You were crushing scorpions and serpents. The kingdom was being wrecked because Jesus said it was like lightning, which means it was sudden and it was dramatic and it was loud and it was powerful. You may not have seen that as you were doing that, as you were putting a rock on a wall or as you were just speaking peace in a home, but Jesus said it was dramatic, it was, it was powerful, it was sudden. And spiritual warfare is more than just passive praying. Spiritual warfare is acts of the kingdom because as you do that, you are crushing scorpions and serpents. And he said this, as you did, I saw. As you did, I saw. And why that's motivational is because that means every time I do this thing that I thought used to be, used to think that this was insignificant, I understand that Jesus is looking at this and saying, oh, the devil's being displaced. The kingdom of God is overcoming the domain of darkness. He said, I've translated you out of the domain of darkness and placed you into the kingdom of his dear son. So what they were, what they were doing, they were doing what was right. They were seeing what was wrong and making it right. They were seeing darkness and bringing light. They were seeing chaos and bringing order. And they were seeing emptiness and bringing fullness. And so everywhere, everywhere they went, they imparted kingdom, the kingdom of God, where they go. Where you go, you impart the kingdom of God. But it's not just you showing up. You've got to act. You've got to see what's wrong. We have to ask ourselves when we go into places, what's wrong with this picture? And if there's something wrong with it, make it right. And when you make it right, you're bringing kingdom, the kingdom of God, to that place. Why did I say that we saw the kingdom of God come to Rock Springs, Wyoming in nine years because when we first moved there, it was an embarrassing place. We would see bumper stickers that were so crude and we didn't want our kids reading them and everybody had them and they were flaunting their sin. It was a vile place. It was the armpit of America. When we left there, <coughs> we, we didn't see those bumper stickers anymore. We saw, God, uh, it, it, we saw bumper stickers that said beautiful things are happening in Rock Springs. They began to plant gro uh, groves of trees down the main streets of the, of the road. They built a multi-million dollar rec center for families. And, and it, it, it was transformed in nine years because we put our hands to the plow and we did kingdom acts and we saw the kingdom of God come to that place. 
as we minister, as we proclaim, as we love people, as we eat with them, as we heal, each one of those acts is a defeat of Satan. Each, <clears throat> excuse me, every act of kingdom ministry is a full frontal attack against Satan and his kingdom. We are turning the world right side up. Uh, much to the different, the, in the uh, book of Acts, they said they're turning the world upside down. No, it's been upside down for a long time. <laughs> We're turning it right side up. Yeah. But, w- but for the people that have lived in that for so long, they think that this is right until we show them a better way and we turn things right side up. And we need to remember this. Every time we do something in Jesus' name, no matter how big or especially no matter how small, Jesus sees Satan fall as lightning from heaven. With the worship team to come up, uh, I want to close with this one thought because, as I have said, that one of the things that we're doing as we impart kingdom wherever we go, I want you to think about it this way. When you go into a place, you impart kingdom there. When you leave there, you know that the kingdom of God is going to remain because you you came there and you imparted kingdom. And, And... the grow group is, is uh, I told them, I said, consider, consider this lesson number nine. But you'll get an expanded version this, of this on Wednesday, and I'll talk to you and define th- three things that define the kingdom. So, no, you can't join my grow group. There's only two lessons left anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, you could ask somebody who goes. But anyway, uh, how do we know that the kingdom of God has come to a place? Um, that's for our groupies. So <laughs> when, when it's all said and done, let's listen to this, when it's all said and done, the whole point of this is the Bible says, the Bible promises that the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the, the sea. And we are all about that. We're supposed to be imparting kingdom everywhere so that the glory of God covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. What does that mean? That means the devil's domain is being diminished little by little by little by, to, from, by every Christian who who understands their, their call to impart kingdom, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And as we do that, the devil's domain is diminished. Every kingdom act is a displacing the domain of darkness little by little until one day we have Revelation 12, verse 8. The devil was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. Let's make sure that the places we go, that there's no longer any place for the devil here any longer, okay? Can we believe that? It says, thy kingdom come on earth. Now, don't think about that as globally. It's not on earth someday, one day, hopefully, but on earth, where I'm standing right now. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. I'm earth. I'm an earthen vessel, the Bible calls me. And so the kingdom of God starts with me. That the kingdom of God is in my family and the kingdom of God is wherever I go. And so when you pray, when, remember what Jesus said, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, thy kingdom come. The kingdom of God has come. If I do this, then the kingdom of God has come. Amen? Amen. 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 Come on, can we get... Am I on? Hello. Come on, can we give him a hand? Come on, do you receive that word today? <laughs> Will you stand to your feet this morning? Come on, it's a good day to be in church.
It's a good day to be in church. I love that. I love that word. Um, there's so much. I said it before you came up, but so much wisdom, so much depth, so much um, understanding of the word of God and how we can apply it and what it means for us. And uh, I'm thankful for that. Are you thankful for that? Come on, are you thankful for how God has blessed our church and and uh, just everything that he's doing in us and through us? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and I want to invite our prayer team to come down, and I just want to take a moment, and I just want you to ask, right where you are, I want you to just ask the Lord, say, Lord, what are you speaking to me today? What are you, what are you saying to me today? What are you, what are you stirring in my heart today? Maybe, maybe you're here today, and you've, maybe you've believed a lie, or, or you have yet to realize that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world and you've been walking through some things and you've been struggling through some things and today you need to take up the authority and you need to you need to activate the spirit of God who lives on the inside of you Lord we thank you Lord we're so thankful so thankful for what you've done for us but not just what you've done for us what you have given to us God, what you can do through us if we understand and activate what it is that you've done in us. And Lord, we stand on, on your word today that you are greater. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And so no matter what I face, no matter what I walk through, Lord, I pray that we would have that realization in our heart every day when we wake up, everywhere that we go, when we step into our workplace, when we step into a building, when we step into a relationship, when we're walking down the street, when we walk into a grocery store, that we would have that revelation that because I am here and the king and the kingdom is inside of me, the kingdom is here. Lord, help us to walk in authority. Help us to live in authority believing every single day you are more than able you are more than able that you are the God who does exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask think or imagine by your work your power that is inside of us you are working through us to accomplish it and God I pray that we would be people who are willing and available to you and Holy Spirit, I pray as we sing this last song that if there's anybody here today in this room that needs prayer for anything, that you would draw them for prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.